0: This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Jolan Sami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Sardorj, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit.
1: America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com. Welcome to America's Roundtable.
0: It's Saturday, and good morning and welcome to America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. This weekend on America's Roundtable, we are truly honored to be joined by a principal leader and a tireless advocate for the rule of law and freedom, Ambassador Jim Gilmore. Jim Gilmore was appointed by President Donald Trump to be ambassador and permanent representative to the Organization for Security and Cooperation, known as OSCE, in Vienna, Austria, in 2020. In 2019, Ambassador Gilmore was elected the 68th Governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia in 1997. He was a candidate for President of the United States in 2008 and 2016. From 1999 to 2003, Ambassador Gilmore chaired the Congressional Advisory Panel to assess domestic response capabilities for terrorism involving weapons of mass destruction, more commonly referred to as the Gilmore Commission. Ambassador Gilmore is a member of the Bar of Virginia and of the District of Columbia. He was elected Attorney General of Virginia in 1993. And on this note, we welcome Ambassador Gilmore to America's Roundtable. A good morning to you, sir.
1: Welcome, Ambassador Gilmore.
2: Good morning, Joel and Natasha. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to your audience.
1: Thank you so much. Ambassador Gilmore, the United States is one of the members of the Organization for Security and Cooperation, OSCE, which has 57 member countries from North America, Europe and Asia with respective ambassadors meeting every week in Vienna. OSCE is the world's largest regional security organization which grew out of Helsinki Accords and the final act of 1975 which was an agreement with a broad range of measures designed to enhance security and cooperation in the region. The ultimate objective was to avoid a new war And as you shared in one of our interviews, to create an environment where people will be free and there will be free expression and human rights and the opportunity for all Europeans to work together to grow safely without an additional conflict somewhere in Europe. The Russian Federation was one of the founding members of the OSCE. As the US ambassador to the OSCE from 2019 to 2021 and visiting Ukraine in May, 2021. Can you share with us your thoughts about what could have been done differently, if anything, in order to prevent Russia's invasion of Ukraine?
2: Well, thank you, Natasha. Uh, the uh, opportunity to be the United States Ambassador of the OSCE was a terrific opportunity to represent our country in a geopolitical situation. Uh, that is a, a we, we call it a regional international organization, but it's really more like the United Nations except that it meets in Vienna, Austria, rather than in New York. Uh, it's, it's centered around Europe, but the truth is it extends almost the entire Northern Hemisphere. Russia is in it, Ukraine is in it, Canada, the United States, all of Europe, uh, and even going into Central Asia. So it's a wonderful opportunity for American diplomacy on the national and international security situation. What could have been done differently? I think that we uh, should not look at ourselves so much. This, this is the decision that's been made by Vladimir Putin and his cadre of people to change Russia's direction. Uh, they have gone from a country that during the time of the Helsinki Accords in 1975, there was a country that sought stability, not liberty for their people or the people of Eastern Europe, but at least stability so that they could improve the quality of lives of people in Russia. And of course, the United States and the Western allies sought an entirely different paradigm. We wanted openness and democracy and freedom. And there was a way of putting all that together in the Helsinki Accords. Russia has changed. Russia has gone back to its imperialist traditions. Uh, my view is, is, and this is terribly important, is this is not defensive stuff by, by Putin. That's a story that he puts out for the Russian people to try to keep them behind him in his imperialist ambitions. He he appeals to their sense of glory, to their sense of security. All of that is a lie. What is going on is that Putin is trying to reassemble the old Russian empire. And he's doing it by force. And that has tremendous international implications. Because if he's able to do that, he's changed the entire rule of order across the entire world and made it clear that aggression, military aggression, atrocity, murder, rape, The kidnapping of children is the new order of the day. And that is the real significance to America here. The question is, can we live in a world like that? The truth is we cannot live in that world. And sooner or later,
0: a bigger war will be coming up the road if if we don't prevail in Ukraine. Ambassador Gilmore, there is skepticism that dwells within the minds of some of our fellow Americans, and we receive uh, feedback from our engaged audience that really is following what's going on. And when they read reports of the cost of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, they witness also the challenges that are faced by veterans today. Uh, Some convey that it may be a fatigue within the ranks of the broad Republican base, including conservatives. And when Governor DeSantis mentioned that Ukraine is not a vital national interest, many agreed. However, after his speech, Governor DeSantis backtracked, and he mentioned that his remarks may have been mischaracterized. And in an interview with Fox News, DeSantis stated, he mentioned, and I quote, Obviously, Russia invaded. That was wrong they invaded crimea and took that in 2014 that was wrong and dissenters also called vladimir putin the president of russia a war criminal as we reflect on some of these issues that are facing our fellow americans here in america some of the economic issues that they're facing what is your message to our fellow americans when they weigh the heavy toll of the recent wars and its aftermath and now see a new frontier of war on the European continent. What is your message to our fellow Americans? Well,
2: first of all, Governor DeSantis was completely wrong in the first thing that he said. He was completely wrong. Uh, And I think he was trying to pander to this this emerging neo-isolationism that we see, particularly being expressed in my own party, the Republican Party. And I'm uh, fighting against that, uh, Joel. Uh, because it is dangerous and uh, in the long term is is dangerous to the safety and security of the United States. So here's my answer. You've asked me, what is my message? My message to all my fellow Republicans and to all Americans is that this matters to American safety and security. There's a tendency to say, well, so what? This is Ukraine. This is on the European continent. Why do we care? What do we care? The same sort of philosophy we had back in the 1930s when we were approaching the, the Hitler threat. We, who cares? And the answer is, we must care because it is America's safety and security that is at stake here. If the Russians are able to prevail in Ukraine, they will have demonstrated that conquest and atrocity works. And therefore, the people of Europe are going to have to think, well, we have this this uh, aggressor, this imperialist right next door to us. We're going to have to compromise a little bit and maybe change our approach to the United States and change our way of looking at things I'm not saying that the Russians are going to invade and conquer Europe, although they have done in the past some of that. Uh, Instead, they will impinge upon the politics and thinking of Europe. My message to my friends across the country is this. America has never allowed a hostile power to dominate Europe. It is a existential threat to the safety and security of the people of the United States of America. Furthermore, if this goes wrong it triggers what goes on in the Pacific. Hmm. And then at that point, our allies there, the Philippines, especially Japan, other areas there, Australia, are put into threat. And the the United States has never allowed a hostile power to dominate the Western Pacific. So the point is, even at the same time, if Europe and the Western Pacific are dominated, it is an existential security existence danger to the United States of America. That's what people don't understand. They think this is somebody else's problem. It is not. It is our problem right now. And we have the opportunity to deal with this right now and prevent a much bigger war up the road.
1: Right. Ambassador Gilmer, in your article published in the Washington Examiner last year, you warned about the authoritarian regimes of Russia and China. And you say, and I quote, Russia and China deny fundamental human rights to their citizens and to people they would subjugate. They know their type of authoritarianism cannot exist side by side with Western ideas of freedom. And perhaps most importantly, they know that the freedoms offered in neighboring countries like Ukraine and Taiwan, might someday spur their citizens to rebel and demand liberty for themselves. This is the real challenge to authoritarian regimes like Russia and China, and why they, in turn, threaten the long-term existence of democratic states." Unquote. Ambassador Gilmore, we are witnessing the deepening of the relationship between Russia and China in the midst of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And as you shared in that article, there is a reason we did not trade with Germany and Japan during World War II. Trade with Russia and China today strengthens those that mean us harm. Ambassador Gilmore, isn't this the time to separate our economies from Russia and China?
2: I'm afraid it is uh, that time. I had a discussion this very morning with the Polish ambassador on a podcast with the University of Virginia. And, uh, you know, he pointed out that Russia's economy is not so essential to the world economy, that the Western powers at this point, including us, are beginning to separate ourselves out from Russian gas and Russian oil. Europe is beginning to do that because nobody wants to be pressured by that. But the point is this, and this is most important to China, China is more connected to the world than Russia is. They actually trade and interact more with the world than Russia does. Uh, I believe that uh, we should be separating out our economies and using the power of the Western economy uh, in order to try to bring these imperialists uh, to bay. Uh, So I think that we're headed in that direction, that we're going to more and more and more separate our economy from the authoritarian economies so that we can exist. And yes, I think we're headed in that direction.
0: In the uh, classic study of post- Cold War international relations, Dr. Samuel Huntington in his book The Clash of Civilizations and the Remaking of World Order explains how clashes between civilizations are the greatest threat to world peace, but also how an international order based on civilizations is the best safeguard against war. And these developments challenge Western dominance, promote opposition to supposedly universal Western ideals, and intensify inter-civilizational conflict over such issues as nuclear proliferation, immigration, human rights, and democracy. And Dr. Samuel Huntington also mentioned about the rise of China, which could lead to a global war of civilizations. Ambassador Gilmore, are we facing this clash of civilizations, as Dr. Huntington presented? And what are your thoughts about a rising China and its close ties, and just recently as we saw President Xi Jinping visiting and spending time in Moscow for three days in a major summit to strengthen its ties with Russia.
2: Well, listen, I, th- I think that we have to take the flirtation of these two countries seriously. Uh, if they were to actually join up a military alliance, then I, I think we're headed down a very dark road. That has not yet occurred. Actually, I believe the Chinese are smarter than the Russians. Uh, I think that they certainly have their ambitions, uh, that particularly with respect to Taiwan. I think they want to dominate Asia and the Western Pacific the same way Japan did back in the 30s. Uh, and America cannot allow that. Uh, but they have more considerations in, in China than, than the Russians do. Uh, look, I, I want to make this point. American policy really has a, a, a dual nature, a, a two-part nature. And for your listeners, their chief concern is about our safety and security. And their belief is, uh, well, we're spending too much money. This is somebody else's problem. The truth is that the money that we're spending on this is very small compared to the to the expenditure up the road if we actually end up in a world war. Mm. Uh, so this is the opportunity right now for very cheap and no expenditure of American blood at all uh, to uh, stop this Russian imperialism. Uh, And I think that the Chinese are watching right now. I think they're basically saying, look, can can we carry out our mission right now or the Western power is going to be resolute? I think they're watching that right now. So if uh, uh, my Republican friends across the country uh, succeed in their neo-isolationism, they're going to end up uh, with a bad result in Ukraine, the success of Russian imperialism, which will be a signal to the Chinese that they can safely invade Taiwan and begin to carry out their goals of the domination of the Western Pacific. This is the moment when all of that can be averted. Uh, you know, Jim Gilmore is not a war lover. Jim Gilmore is a person who wants to avert a bigger war up the road. This is the moment when that can be done. As long as we're resolute, as long as we have res- resolve. As Western people to look at history, to recognize the reality of where we are, and to do the right thing now. But the neo-isolationists are setting us up for a much larger war in the future that goes to the safety and security of our country. And then your second point, Natasha, and that is the second part of America. And the question is, America's always stood for human rights. I always call it, we, we cannot live in a world in which citizens fear the knock at the door in the middle of the night. Mm. The police haul you off to a cellar someplace and torture you and murder you, and which is a a lesson to everybody else. Mm. Stalin understood that. If he could murder innocent people, then other innocent people would be fearful. That is the world that used to exist and that some people want to bring back again. America can't live in that world. We can't live in that world. If the Chinese and the Russians prevail through Europe and Asia in the long run, America will be forced to fight. And we don't want to get ourselves into that position again.
1: Ambassador Gilmore, uh, I wanted to bring our attention to the Balkans. Uh, That's one of those fault lines that Samuel Huntington describes it in the Clashes of Civilization. And... Another author, actually, Richard Holbrook, in his book To End the War, stated, and I quote, Yugoslavia's tragedy was not foreordained, it was the product of bad, even criminal political leaders who encouraged ethnic confrontation for personal, political, and financial gain. Rather than tackle the concrete problems of governance in post-Tito era, they led their people into war. The problem today is that there is the same breed of bad, even criminal political leaders in the Balkans, who have opened the door for Russia's and Chinese state-owned companies and Putin's tycoons to massively invest in the Balkans. And let me just briefly share a few examples. Sberbank, Russia's state-owned bank, purchased Bank International, a subsidiary of Austrians' bank, back in September 2011, so there are some... Seven or eight countries where they are among the top ten financial institutions by total assets. Then there's a Putin tycoon who own properties in Croatia, including a major chain of hotels. The Balkans' largest food manufacturer and retailer who has possession of concessions on water, major sources of water in the Balkans. Croatian-based Agrocorps, also known as Fortinova, employing 50,000 people in the region, laundered money for Sberbank, and now it's owned by Sberbank and Bank, both regime's bank, Putin's bank, basically. Then there's a tycoon, Oleg Deripaska. I have to mention him because that's a 28% of Austria-based Strabag company involved in construction of major highways. Anything funded by taxpayers, Strabag is involved in, which is 30% Oleg Deripaska, directed to Putin. And the CRBC or Chinese building a bridge paid by EU taxpayers of 400 million dollars it's just unimaginable so we saw during Trump administration secretary Pompeo was very effective in convincing our european allies to refuse chinese investments in infrastructure and especially in services of strategic interest, like telecommunication. Ambassador Gilmer, what is being done now to address the pending threats connected to Russia and China in the Balkans, knowing the Balkans were... World War One was started in, in the Balkans, Second World War was, was connected to the Balkans, the recent wars in the Balkans in 1991. So what is being done now in order to prevent China and, and Russia taking over...
2: D- Natasha, look. Let me let me respond to this. First of all, it is the United States ambassador to OSCE. One of my best friends was the ambassador from Albania, uh, and I knew very very well all of the ambassadors there. All the all the Balkan countries are members of OSCE. I was actually on good relations with the ambassador from Serbia, so we understand all that. It is true that uh, all of these elements you're discussing are elements of national power: the money, construction, water electricity, uh, energy, all of these things are parts of national power and can be used by dictators against the West. Uh, My view is that uh, we are changing here. We are emerging from uh, an old way of doing things. Uh, During the time of Gorbachev and during the time of uh, of Reagan and others, we were uh, trying to get along. We were trying to find a way to create a world order where we could all advance together. We were very generous with the Russians. I, I remind you of George W. Bush saying, well, I've looked into Putin's eyes and I can see his soul, which of course was nonsense, but that's what he said. Obama was saying, well, don't worry. When I get reelected, I can I have more latitude to work with Vladimir. We, we all were thinking like this was the Gorbachev era and that we could find a way to work together for common goals. I think we're emerging away from that now. I think we understand that we were taken advantage of that that's not reality. That the dictators now believe that they can, in fact, create a new world order. Putin is actually doing it right now through atrocity, uh, and I think that um, the West is waking up to the fact that they're going to have to take care of themselves. That we're going to have to protect ourselves, and that we're going to have to treat these people for what they are, which is adversaries. That doesn't mean we have to go to war with them, really. but they get a vote on this. Uh, Putin is the one who started this war in Ukraine, not us. Uh, All we really want at this point is for Ukraine to follow the principles of the OSCE and the Helsinki Accords and be a free country that can do what it wants to do. Join the EU if it chooses to and turn west and become more advanced. That's what Putin is trying to crush out because he knows if Ukraine is successful, that's right next door to Russia. And at that point, Russian people are going to wake up and say, why can't we be free people? Why can't we have economic advancement? That was the same philosophy as before. So we are emerging out of that, that day when we were all just trying to get along, which Americans want to do. And instead, we're waking up to the fact that we're going to have to protect ourselves in this very dangerous environment.
0: Ambassador Gilmore, in your excellent piece in The Examiner, which I'd like to bring back uh, to the forefront, it's titled, What's at Stake in Ukraine and Why the U.S. Must Care. And I encourage our listeners to seek that out by visiting your search engines, getting to The Examiner, and seeking out this article. And you wrote, and I quote, The world is walking on a tightrope, just waiting for something to snap. Real conflict exists in the Middle East as Iran marches toward a nuclear bomb. Serbia and the Balkans is dissatisfied with the NATO-imposed peace. You then also mention China and Russia intend to impose their authoritarian way of life on the world. And then you conclude by stating, It is time to recapture the spirit of Ronald Reagan and his firm demand to tear down this wall and everything it represented. We can be no less faithful to that vision in this moment of crisis and decision." Ambassador Gilmore, where should we go from here? What are the concrete steps that America's legislators and the American electorate should take in addressing this imminent threat of a Russia-China axis, along with Iran and perhaps North Korea? And is the West prepared for this task?
2: Well, uh, Joel, I also just published an article in the National Review. Uh, several about two months ago that I hope can be can be recaptured by people and to summarize once again my views with respect to Ukraine. Uh, but uh, I think you're right to look at the big picture. I think that uh, Americans need to understand the big picture of what's going on. We have a tendency to segment things and say, "Well, today we're dealing with Ukraine. Tomorrow we're dealing with Taiwan, Taiwan." today it's the Balkans, and we we tend to to stamp out fires. Uh, that is not good policy, and, and what you have to do is look at the big picture mm-hmm. and understand the rising dangers that we have. You asked me what to do. First of all, we have to understand what we're in here, uh, and I think the neo-isolationists, particularly my friends in the Republican Party, who are completely wrong about this, they have to wake up uh, to the fact that this is a true danger to the existence of the United States of America. We tend to think, oh, this is somebody else's problem. This is not somebody else's problem. This is our problem. And we have to deal with it right now together with our allies, who I worked with very closely when I was in Vienna. Uh, We have to recognize uh, all of that. Uh, So the the point is that, yes, you're right. All of this is emerging right now. What are we going to do about it? Well, number one, America has to provide the leadership that is imposed upon it. When I was the ambassador in Vienna, I can assure you that people were looking to American leadership. The stories the media were putting out that said that everybody in Europe hated Trump and all that kind of thing, they didn't hate America. They looked to America for leadership. Mm. If America is leading, they will join us and work with us and be allies to us. We don't need to lord over them and pretend that somehow we're superior. These are partners in the international order successfully. So, number one, we have to understand what's going on. And this, this isolationist idea is dangerous. It is dangerous to their, to our own country because of the consequences that we can see in front of us right up the road. Uh, so we, we have to stop this right now. And uh, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene don't know what they're talking about. And what they're talking about as a congresswoman puts her in a position to be extremely dangerous. Uh, so what we have to do is first understand this. Second of all, exercise the leadership. And third of all, at this critical moment in Europe, we have to be resolute. And every message we send in America is listened to closely by Vladimir Putin. When America looks distracted, uncertain, isolationist, willing to step back, no longer provide leadership, Putin is encouraged. He says, I can wait these people out. I can wait this out until finally they quit on Ukraine and then they force Ukraine into a surrender or at least to a bargaining table to their disadvantage Putin is listening to this he's listening to this podcast right now mm. and my my strength of, of resolution I hope that the Russians hear this if America stays strong and resolute we're going to be just fine because dictatorship and tyranny cannot prevail in the modern world at least not if we lead
1: when you say that we, we have to lead and we also have to you know provide leadership in in being able, to establish our businesses in those countries because our absence because you know some of these countries don't have the strong rule of law so american companies are we don't pay bribes and there's also fcpa these regulations so basically their lack of rule of law and our regulation is precluding us from investing in those countries the void is filled by chinese and russian companies that bribe their way around encourage more kleptocracy, more lack of rule of law, more rogue and mafia states. So we do need to have leadership militarily, but also economically. We need to establish presence in those countries in order for those countries to be able to establish the rule of law gradually and have other people prosper so they don't look at the war as an exit, but to look how they can benefit themselves through economic opportunities.
2: Uh, everything you're talking about are all elements of national power. I insist that Americans begin to think more broadly. Uh, at one point, uh, we, we in Europe talked about hybrid warfare. And there's a tendency to think of that just in cyber terms. But hybrid warfare means really that all the elements of national power, all of it. Economics, cyber, military, especially business, money, Uh, and messaging. And this is the part that's that's not completely understood. Messaging is important. Our adversaries understand that. They message to their people. They message to our people in order to try to destroy our resolve. Political messaging is an element of national power. Uh, When our isolationists send a message of of irresolution, They're undermining that element of America's national power, which is our strength and resolve of our principles and our ideas that were so exemplified by Ronald Reagan. So, uh, yes, you're right about this. The uh, economics of the United States, frankly, why does anybody care about the leadership of the United States? Well, I like to think it's because that we care about principles, that we care about human rights. That we care about democracy? These are all the principles, by the way, of the Helsinki Accords and the final act that that the OSCE grew out of. These are all very important principles. In fact, I'm going to emphasize it for just a moment. The people of the world want liberty. They want democracy. This includes the people of Russia and the people of China, as we saw in 1989 in Red Square and as we saw in Tiananmen Square. This is the ultimate victory of the West. They, they understand this. So these are elements of our national power. You have to think about hybrid warfare that the enemy thinks about in all of these elements, and all of them have to be resolved in the right direction. But, you know, why would anybody care about the United States? They care about us because of our values and principles. They also care because we are the biggest economy in the world, and we have the capacity to put financial resources behind the right things as long as we're not silly about it and we do the right things.
0: We truly appreciate your leadership on this very important front, Ambassador Gilmore. We are joined this morning with Ambassador Jim Gilmore, a principal leader and a tireless advocate for the rule of law and freedom. He was appointed by President Donald Trump to be ambassador and permanent representative to the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Vienna, Austria in 2019. And he was elected the 68th governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia in 1997. Ambassador Gilmore, we thank you so much for your time and for your clear insights and that moral clarity on this very important topic that we're facing today.
1: Thank you so much, Ambassador Gilmore.
0: Thanks to both of you. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Jolan Insamy, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Sardorj, co-founder of International Leaders Summit, and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit.
1: America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com.